0: This episode is brought to you by Bull Johnson. That's right, Travis Bull Johnson is running to represent the Congressional District Number 7 in Minnesota, and he would like your support. If you want to find out more about his fight for liberty to be the next libertarian representative in Congress, go to bulljohnsonforcongress.us.
1: Spike Cohen.
2: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to the Vanguard. For Spike Redbeard the Pirate Cohen, I am Matt Wright, and together we are traversing the muddied waters of freedom. First and foremost, allow me to thank Justin for the kava that I'm drinking on this week's episodes.
0: And allow me to thank Le Bleu for this delicious water. Ulovinaka. Ulovinaka. Well, folks, we we told you that this was going to be a really cool episode, and it is. We uh, had an absolutely awesome conversation with one Connor Boyack, who is the author of the Tuttle Twin series. He's the head of the Tuttle Twins cartoon series. Uh, he is uh, the head of the was it Libertas or Liber- Libertas? Libertas. How do you say it? Libertas? Libertas. The Libertas Institute. And he's doing so much awesome stuff. This was one of my, this was, was this our best interview that we ever did? This,
2: yes. This was our best interview that we ever did. And he was coming on in order to promote the book that he just authored. Uh, it Well, it's yes. actually out now. I, I wrote upcoming, but it is out now. And it is America's History, a Tuttle Twins series of stories Years twelve fifteen to seventeen seventy six. This is one of the greatest conversations that we have had with yep. anybody on this program. And um absolutely it was
0: and if you want to get that book, Tuttletwins.com slash history.
2: That's right, Tuttle Twins dot com slash history. It is available now. Please settle in and enjoy our interview with one Mr. Connor Boyack. Connor, thank you for joining us today. It's always an honor having you on. Uh, yeah, man. How was your how How was your Fourth of July?
1: It was really good. I uh, I went up to our family cabin. I actually worked on one of our next Tuttle Twins books, um, but I was feeling a bit of like a Scrooge uh, this Independence Day. Like I was talking to a few friends about it. I. I, I don't know why this year more than other years past, I felt less like celebrating. It feels more like a memorializing of independence to me than a celebration. And so I was like looking around like all these people with their fireworks and their barbecue. Yay. America. Yay. Freedom. And I'm like, where are you the other 364 days of the year to, to do anything about it? So it, yes. I, I don't know. I was feeling a bit scroogey.
2: I, I, I completely understand that. Like I, most of the places I hang out are filled with people who um, hate freedom Uh, and they you know they really enjoy the government boot Um, and you know I just don't really like hang out with those people when I'm there I hang out with my little circle and like yesterday they were all like watching the fireworks and go team America go 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 and I was just like you guys hate liberty Uh, Why are you doing this? You realize what we're
0: celebrating, right? Like this is not secession, shooting at
1: government agents. You know, tax evasion.
0: Yeah,
2: right. Yeah,
0: Yeah. this was Uh, this was I believe this was it was a a violent act of treason uh, in reaction (laughs) to a proposed tax increase on one product without representation
1: how can the very people like wringing their hands over January 6th, then, you know, celebrate the 4th of July. That, that seems to me highly incongruent, but then again, well, I think it wasn't the, on the
0: 4th of July. It was on January oh, 6th. Got it. Got it. Long <laughs> <day>. <laughs> if, they
2: had, oh, if they had waited, if they had waited exactly. just a couple of months, it would have been fine. Exactly, they wearing so the right uniform, <laughs> yes. So, tell us
0: what you've been up to. You're you're founder and president of Liberdas Institute, author of the Twiddle, Tuttle Twin series, all sorts of stuff. Tell us all, tell us about what you've been up to this uh, past year.
1: So, oh gosh, uh, brief version is you know, I run Libertas, it's a think tank. Uh, we're more of a do tank, so uh, we come up with ways to change the laws and then we go get them actually changed. A lot of people write white papers and, you know, hope that someone does something about it. We're a very strategic group. So we, we work at a state and local level. We started in Utah, uh, which is my adopted home state. I, I was a California exile before it was cool. Yeah. And, um, and now we work across the country. So we help groups all over the place get uh, laws passed. We've changed over hundred laws, all kinds of stuff. Um, and so that, that's kind of the bread and butter. Big part of what I do is running in this organization but then, on the side, and it sounds weird to say that because it's become its own crazy animal, like another full-time job. But this tuttle twins thing started as you know me and elijah, my my partner, he's the illustrator you know, we just wanted to teach our kids these ideas. And we wanted to, you know, I wanted my kids to understand what the heck dad does all day when he's out fighting eminent domain or civil <laughs> asset forfeiture or whatever. Right. And uh, and it's just blown up. I mean, we've sold over 4 million books. Now we got a cartoon and a podcast and this, you know, game and, um, you know, all kinds of books, we translate them into a dozen languages. Like it's just, it's really taking off as a way to help young people understand the ideas of liberty and It's a huge part now of what I do um, from a very kind of like we've weaved it into like my full time job and what our organization's doing, because there was like a huge void for anything like this before to talk to young people about these libertarian ideas. And so we stepped in, filled the void. and Now we're blowing it up way beyond libertarian circles. and, And it's just been a blast.
0: I know, especially with this, uh, with the TV show, you're, you've gone mainstream. I love how you call it the Tuttle Twins thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that's the thing that I do called Tuttle that Twins. That that's do. awesome. That thing I do.
2: Yeah. And like, I, I've been a fan of the Tuttle Twins series since before I had kids. Um, and I, I bought like the first six books when they came in pack. And I bought that, that package of them. And then when I ended up becoming a stepfather. Uh they destroyed those six and then I got the, what is it, the, tw- the See that's the how we've six sold six 4 months.
1: million is because the <laughs> yeah. kids
0: destroy their first set. They, so
2: they really do. It's only about 5,000 uh,
0: people that have bought that clay they bought they just keep like 5 million like over. 900 copies, yeah.
2: And now I now I have the I think I have the full set. I might be missing one. Um but I have the full set and I keep it in the office and if they want to read it I have to be there cuz I'm tired of them destroying them. Um, But you have, you have something new coming out and uh, I'm actually, I'm really excited about it. My fiance, soon to be wife is uh, also very excited about it. Can you tell us a little bit about America's history? So
1: two, two and a half years ago, two and a half years ago, I was flown into Chicago to a donor's office. He brought together a bunch of groups like us that work on like K through 12 or, you know, you, uh, young people, Sophie was there, the Bill of Rights Institute, uh, who else? Uh, I think Young Americans for Liberty may have been there, but just different like youth groups and, and people trying to teach. And this donor was really interested in how we're teaching kids history. And he's like, let's work together. Let's kind of coordinate. Look at the left. They've got their you know critical race theory and 1619 project and all these things. So we meet the whole day. We're brainstorming. Nothing came of it and and that was a frustration for me because i felt like i was like trying to drive a lot of ideas yeah what if we did this you know but uh i left i i flew home feeling like okay nothing's really happening so i i mapped out on the little delta napkin they gave me like a if i were to do something what would i do and so i i got home i i bought i mean they're sitting over here on my desk some of them these in uh fact for the video i'll show folks I bought these like fat social studies books that poor like ten year olds have to carry in their backpack, and they're they've got back problems from the age of ten lugging these I things around.
2: PTSD,
1: yeah, <laughs> I <don't
2: know. laughs> right. I, I thought I, everything I, was on iPads now. I thought like they were just giving <laughs> tablets to kids in order. To
1: no, help. man, the, the money the money's in the textbooks because you release you know eighty seventh edition and change two words sure. and sell the new set mm. to the school. And uh, so I flipped through all these books. I I came home, I went on Amazon and eBay. I buy all these textbooks where um, they're teaching kids about the constitution, the declaration, the revolution, all the things. And I was like, okay, let's see like how this is actually working. And I get through all these books and I was maybe not shocked because I should have expected this, but I was just blown away at how little these books go into any depth. They, they, talk all about names and dates and when did this battle happen and who did what and they're just like barraging you with minutiae about history that I I know young Connor detested I hated learning that stuff because there was no meaning there was no relevance to my life whatever these books completely fail when it came to the ideas the philosophy John Locke the Judeo-Christian influence, the Greco-Roman influence, just the substance of like why these guys were doing what they did. And so we set out to create our own book um, that would do that, that would not only teach the stuff that happened, like who did what and when and why, but but more importantly, the ideas that motivated them. And, and we say all the time, this quote, those who don't learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. Right. And yet we suck at teaching young kids how to learn from the past, let alone adults, uh, we're teaching that these books, they're teaching them about the past, but that's totally different from teaching kids to learn from the past. And so that's what our book is aimed to do is like, here's all these philosophical ideas and values and things that they were talking about and that motivated them. Oh, by the way, those same ideas apply to our day. Here's some ideas as to how and suddenly become uh, history becomes more relevant than just this passing curiosity and memorizing names and dates. Now it's more like, Hey, they went through something kind of similar. How did they handle that? What did they say about it? And maybe that can motivate me to know like what to do in, in the world today to make a difference.
0: That's awesome.
2: And now that yeah, that's awesome. And so the books covers the span of 1215 to 1776. So like 161 years. I did that very or 561 years. Yeah. I was, um, I was... and I, <laughs> Do you I have, I have a twins math went, book? Yeah, I was gonna say I went to public school in Virginia. So don't oh blame God. me for my math. Um at least so he yeah, had the I, decimal if I, if I, point
1: in the right spot.
2: Right. <laughs> That's
0: true. Yeah. He did give us a whole number, yeah.
2: So I'm not looking for like spoilers, obviously, because it's history, but you picked 1215. What happened in 1215? That <laughs> like you're like, this is this is where we're starting the set.
1: So You know, if you talk to Ron Swanson, he says that nothing happened before 1776. That's when history began, right? (laughs) Everything else was a mistake. Yeah, exactly. So if 1776 was the birth of of America, what was the gestation period? And so we argue Mm -hmm. it was about 500 years, because if you want to look at why colonization happened, you have to understand why exploration, why these guys were setting sail on these ships and going across the world, what were they doing? Well, they were looking for you know, spices and resources and all kinds of stuff. Why? And so they could take it back to trade. Well, why were they trading? Well, it's largely the Silk Road and Marco Polo and these guys who were going out and, and bringing things across large distances. And it was, it was that explosion of free trade in the 12 and 1300s that led to further exploration, which led to colonization, which led to America. So we go clear back to talk about how the story of America is actually a story of trade and trying to make people's lives better that drove Mm. a lot of those things in the centuries ahead. And then with, with, you know, being very specific, 1215 is uh, the year of the Magna Carta. And so that was like the, the proto constitution, like the early document that started to secure people's rights. That was an inspiration for later documents that followed this for us is volume one. Like we at least intend to do a volume two, which is, you know, to be Ron Swanson uh, continuing from 1776, the birth of America. Um,
2: when, when history actually started. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and, and your audience will like this. I, I shared this with Tom Woods too, but he was the first just the other day. Uh, but I know your audience will like this too. And, and I should clarify, this is tentative. Elijah and I are still just kind of planning this, but, um, the thinking is here's volume one and it ends at 1776. So it's birth of a revolution. And then we'll go 1776 for volume two, 1776 through like 1789, And then that'll be birth of a republic. And then we'll probably do 1789 through like the war between the states post-reconstruction. So that'll be birth of nationalism Mm -hmm. when Abraham Lincoln is just like forcing the union and whatever. And then we'll go post-reconstruction all the way through the progressive era, World War I, World War II. I really want to end volume four with uh Dwight D. Eisenhower's farewell address warning people of the military industrial complex. So that'll be birth oh. of the uh, birth of an empire will be uh volume four. So the republic, the revolution, the republic, uh the uh nationalism and then uh imperialism for volume four. We'll we'll see if we stick to that, but that's the idea for now. That's very, very that's
2: a, cool. yeah that is very, that cool. Is very I, cool. I like, I like that it a lot yeah that um, is cool i'm yeah i'm excited i've been uh i i knew about the book before we started emailing about you coming on the show and i've been excited for this book to come out for a while now um but uh yeah i have seen the history that's being taught to second graders and it's not right it's not correct um to put that in a more clear sense it's not correct they kind of gloss over things and they don't say the full truths um, as I have discovered uh, with a second grader in the house. So being able to be, to sit down and show them exactly what, uh, how everything happened, the real way it happened without the spin is going to be a, uh, it's going to be a new experience that we are going to love in this house. Can
1: I share a specific example just to kind of illustrate how this yeah, works. So was- I'm holding that same uh, book, United States history by Holt MacDougall. Uh, This is a very popular uh, textbook. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this uh, book right now, page 96. And th- this whole fat book, I mean, it's like, <clears throat> gosh, a thousand, it's a thousand pages. It dedicates half a page to the French and Indian war. And at that, only a quarter of a page, because for those who are watching the video version, half of it's a map over here. And then it's got this uh, tiny little chunk of text that talks about the French and Indian War. Well, why does that matter? The, The French and Indian War and everything that was going on at the time is the only reason why the revolution happened. Right, The the fact that the Redcoats went into so much debt and they felt like they were protecting the colonies, but the colonies felt like, no, we shouldn't have to pay for this, which led to taxation without representation. The fact that George Washington used to be a British Redcoat and he was a successful one at that and he would write these tales of his adventures that people in England were like lapping up. And so for them to realize later that that same guy was the guy now leading the rebellion, like there's so much happening in the French and Indian war. The fact that that what George, like, I'm, I'm not going to give a spoiler. We talk about this in the book, but George Washington, like he is the reason why the whole revolution happened when he was a redcoat and what he was doing for the empire's holdings in his backyard. Yeah. He triggered the war by getting into an altercation that spilled into more bloodshed, which grew into the French and Indian war, which led into the revolution. And George Washington said, this book can spare only two paragraphs to talk about the entire French and Indian war. And more importantly, it's not interesting. You read what it just gives a few like factoids about it, but that's not how we like history. History is a story. We like the intrigue and we like the tension and the drama and the human element. This book is completely devoid of that. And so it's, it's stuff like that where I'm like, you know, Matt, for your you know, second grader, for everyone out there with their kids who are thinking about history, I hated history. I hated it because it was just all the memorization, the pump and dump for a test of like, I got to cram my head full yep. of this. and yep. Oh, now yep. I can forget it. And gosh, it wasn't until after college, I, I started reading, uh, I think Nullification by Tom Woods was one of my first history books. That led me into, you know, reading all kinds of biographies and David McCullough and Kevin Gutzman and all these guys where I'm like, history is actually fascinating when you, when you read stories and not just the names and dates, but I was deprived of all of that in school. And as a result, I was deprived of like the ideas and the way that it could be relevant to my life just because it was, it was never taught that way.
0: Exactly. I remember in, in public, the difference between in public school, how history was taught, which I did not care about. And then how it was taught when I was homeschooled by my dad, which that was much more interesting. And then later on in life, when I started like watching the History Channel and things like that, where it would present like a compelling story. The difference was night and day. It's why I know this was in the late 90s. So I know everything there is to know about Hitler, because for a very brief period of time, the History Channel was basically just the Hitler Channel. It was just every thing about Hitler. It was all Hitler. And so I knew every aspect of Hitler, but it was because they actually had compelling stories as to how this happened and everything yep. else. So it's awesome that you're doing this because right now, you know, if you look at the what's available in terms of what's being taught to kids, it's either a very whitewashed version of American history that every year it just gets better than the year before, or this like, <laughs> you know, th- this version of history that's critical, but only on specific things, and then goes to a really weird conclusion about what we should be now. Uh, instead of just presenting the the history the facts and the history of how we got here and the fact that that includes that you know we went from being uh it's almost like the star wars story like you go from being this republic to being an empire and that leads to the harm that we're experiencing today as a result of it i think it's fantastic what you're doing now, yeah we're happy it, about
2: it it is absolutely amazing um to kind of switch gears a little bit but like education obviously since we can roughly say the 1970s has been going downhill um or at least staying yeah i wonder
0: what happened
2: what could have happened in Mm. the 70s um been the department of education (laughs) yes um (laughs) 10 points uh thank you so there's been (laughs) there's been a lot of movements recently in like the school choice movement the the homeschooling movement um Recently, we saw that the Supreme, there was the case in Maine, um, which, if I was smarter, I would have put the name of that in my notes here, but uh, where the Maine Department of Education wasn't allowing a Christian school to uh, get the voucher funds, but the Supreme Court said, no, you have to give them this option if, you, they, if they don't have any other option. Um, are you seeing these win, as wins? Are you seeing them as delaying the inevitable?
1: That's a good question. So, um, the main case is a really interesting one. Um, the, the families, it was, uh, Carson versus it wasn't versus the state. It was versus Macon. I think, I think Macon, that was, the yeah. Super, Macon, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Carson versus Macon. And, um, you know, this is interesting because in a lot of states you have these, uh, they're called Blaine amendments where, you know, over the decades they've had these, Uh, I'll call them litmus tests for, you know, sectarianism that you can't use public uh, funds, uh, tax dollars uh, to for any religious school. And to that, I always kind of snidely say, you know, show me a public school that isn't a religious school. It's just a different religion, you You know, statism and secularism or whatever. But like, what is religion ultimately, but a belief system that's advanced as truth through propaganda Right or wrong, yes. positive and virtuous yep. or negative yep. Yep. And, and you know Hitler like, right? Like ultimately, it's the propagation of ideas and who claims those is true. and the, so the public schools are these seminaries of learning for the you know statist religion, and so why is it okay to force taxpayers to fund that rather than some other you know definition of truth and um, granted, I think no taxpayer investment would be superior. I think we'd all agree on that. Uh, but to the extent that it exists, then you know maybe we ought to not uh, prop up a monopoly and and uh, it's indoctrination camps compared to what parents would prefer for their kids that would pull them out of these indoctrination camps into other you know avenues of learning. So to your question, Matt, I I feel like this is inevitable. I feel like the teachers' union is really weak. I think that unions in general are weak. I think that. We're in a post-union era. I think people have very little tolerance for unions. I, I know Biden and others like to lean into them, but there's, there's not a lot of love outside of kind of that core group of pro-union folks that are getting old and dying off. I don't really see young people really being enthralled with unions and the, the idea of them. So I feel like the teachers unions are waning. I feel like the composition of the Supreme Court clearly is well positioned to knock down a lot of this stuff. I think if you look at where the energy is, in, in kind of the school choice movement is the energy on the pro school choice side, or is it on kind of the teacher's unions and whatever? I think the energy is, is way more heavily on the pro yeah. school choice uh, movement side. That's where investment is. That's where energy and activism is. Um, I think COVID accelerated it. You see all the, I mean, look at the school board meetings. It's all the angry s- soccer moms that are, yep. you know, coming to tear the head off of the you know school board. So I just feel like all those things are compounding and, um, I think there will be setbacks. I think, frankly, I think there's a lot of problems with school choice. I think, I think it's not a utopian thing. I think in, no, it does maybe no, invite no. a level of government regulation and there are ways to structure it better and be cautious of like, I, so I don't think it's this utopian thing, but on the net, I think it's way superior to the kind of, uh, degraded status of public schooling. I think it's going to serve and save kids. And for that reason, I think it's worth putting effort into. And I think that effort, as we've seen with the Supreme Court ruling, is going to be productive in the next few years to open up and unlock a lot of opportunities for kids that they would not have by going to their local neighborhood school and that degraded experience that it would afford.
0: Yeah, I I think that if you watch the and I agree with you 100 percent. My concern long term right now, it's breaking up this the uh, the public employee union monopoly on schooling, which is a fantastic thing. I can see how this very easily becomes the Campbell Campbell's nose under the tent for federal and state regulation of private schools through even if they don't directly regulate, but by them being de facto the largest Uh, customer of the uh, of these private schools and charter schools of it becoming sort of a backdoor way of them regulating them the same way they do the public schools. But that's a longer term concern. And in the meantime, I like uh, shout out to Corey DeAngelis and to you as well. But to some of these these people, these incredible school choice advocates who are not just advocating for school choice, but are doing it from the standpoint of saying government's not good at schooling. And so You know, if they're going to take your money, then it should go towards the school of your choice. But we'd prefer that they just not take your money at all, like you said. So I like the way it's being presented. Um, And so even though I I share the same concerns you do long term, I think that this is being done as a step down to eventually just getting government uh, out of schooling on on both the regulation and and um, I guess monopoly side, but also on the funding side as well. Um, and I agree with you 100. percent The public employee unions, especially, are on their are on their their death throes. Uh, the teachers unions are falling apart. I've been to multiple uh, police accountability rallies across the country where it's mostly progressives there, and they're calling for stuff like abolishing police unions. And meanwhile, I agree with them. But you would have never heard abolish police unions from anything even left of, I, I don't know, left of uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, which, <laughs> uh, you know, I, like any anything outside of the center right, you would have never heard anyone calling for abolishing any kind of public employee unions. So, no, I think they're in their death throes. And it's a beautiful thing to watch.
1: And no, I, I mean, think, Spike, there's sorry, Matt, just to add very briefly, I think there are ways to address those long term concerns, for example. I've never really liked vouchers because a voucher is I get my 5,000 or whatever dollars and I give it to the private school and that creates a single nexus. In other words, all the money flows to the school. So it's very tempting and and logistically easy to regulate the school because they get the money. Whereas when you have things like uh, they call them ESAs, but like education savings accounts, the nexus is the parent. And what that means is I might go swipe my card at Amazon for, you know, that fat textbook I held up that is awful. I don't recommend buying that one. Um, Or, you know, I might go to TuttleTwins.com and get their new history book. I recommend getting that one. Um, Or like, you know, the field trip at the museum or uh, hiring a tutor or what, like it becomes very decentralized. And so there's no easy way to regulate the school because the school might be there is no school in some cases it's, it's these dispersed educational expenses. So then it really becomes about the parent. And so what, what the best States I think are doing is it's an audit system. In other words, you could right now, you know, when you file your taxes, you could claim, you know, child tax credit, your electric vehicle credit, your whatever credits you claim them all. Right. And you know, you're on scouts honor and whatever, but you might get audited at some point to verify that what that you, you it, yeah. claim. Yeah. And so then it's on the on your honor. And maybe you'll get audited, and maybe you'll get, you know, your hands slapped and you'll have to pay back money with interest. But then it's a way to have this hands-off approach to say, we kind of trust you. We're going to have a presumption of trust that you're going to claim credits the right way. And then we'll just audit you periodically to make sure everything's on the up and up. And that's how I think we can address the long-term concerns where it's very hard to regulate, you know. A school if the parents are using funds for all kinds of things that have nothing to do with a school, which I think is increasingly the future of education, to move away from these central school systems, even private schools, and just say I've got my pandemic pod and my homeschool co-op and my you know online con academy and my whatever. I think the decentralization of education is the future, um, even the modularization of it. Like my kids, they'll go take a class on outschool.com, my kids learning how to how to draw um, anime. And then in the afternoon, he's going to a local theater class. And then, you know, like just I see that as the future. It's like our app economy, right? It's like what I want, exactly the way I want it, when I want it, how I want it. And I feel like that's where education is headed. How soon, I don't know. But that future excites me.
0: If you think this interview is going well so far, wait till you see the second half, which is even better. It's so much better that we're only offering it to our subscribers. And yes, this is. Kind of sadistic. Uh, anchor.fm/moneywater/subscribers. Uh, no, slash subscribe. Uh, become a subscriber. Not only do you get access to the second half of this interview, but you get so much more content. You get all sorts of money waters uh, media uh, ex- subscriber exclusive content. You get a, a discount at our stores and at partner stores, uh, and you also uh, get an ad-free listening experience on Anchor and Spotify. Matt, what's that book again?
2: Uh, the name of that book is America's History: A Tuttle Twins Series of Stories. Years, it covers the years uh, 1215 to 1776. It's like 245 pages long. Um, I was able to read a chapter of it, and it is amazing. It's fantastic. Uh, if you love the Tuttle Twins stories, you're going to love how he's put this together. Uh, you can go to tuttletwins.com slash history to order yours today uh, and I, I highly recommend it. I'm order, I am ordered mine. It's supposed to be coming uh, hopefully soon and uh, I can't wait to dive Like I'm excited to dive into this book before my kids can. Yes, before they destroy it. Right. Because they're kids <laughs> and that's what they do. So,
0: check out <laughs> You need to check out this next uh, half of the interview. It's coming out this weekend. We will see you then if you're a subscriber. If you're not a subscriber, we will see you next week. But become a subscriber. You definitely want to see the rest of this interview. And where we're going... We
2: don't need
0: roads.